mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Lawman is putting into my running, and I'm so far from my home. Hey, Pittsburgh, welcome to Steel City Hockey, a podcast covering everything Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Well, our first edition of Steel City Hockey in the month of July. Hope everybody enjoyed their 4th of July holiday. Uh, great Independence Day for me down at the beach, weekend away from uh, my new home down in Atlanta. I was able to get back up north to uh, visit my family. That was a lot of fun. So I hope everybody enjoyed their holiday weekend as well. And now it's time to talk some hockey. Big news with free agency starting on July 1st. Uh, a it's good and bad that, that uh, free agency starts that day because I think it's perfect that it's it's July 1st every year, um, but there's a lot of other things on our minds on July 1st most years than uh, NHL free agency because uh, it's the beginning of the 4th of July holiday and, and uh, summer and all kinds of other stuff going on in your life. So if you missed the opening of NHL free agency, we will have a full recap, at least what the Penguins did this week. I hope to get into more of uh, a, a a league-wide coverage of free agency, the beginning of it anyway, next week. A lot is going on with the Washington Capitals, a lot of movement within the Metropolitan Division, so I think that's going to be our focus next week, just Metropolitan Division. Well, I'm hoping to have Sammy Sabre back on the show. If you remember back in May, we had her on to preview the Capitals-Penguins series, so I hope she will come on to talk. Uh, Capitals free agency and maybe one other guest as well somebody somebody else that covers a metro team but that will be next week today we're going to talk all Penguins free agency the Penguins lost Nick Bonino Chris Kunitz Trevor Daly and Ron Hainsey all on July 1st the first day of free agency but they also re-signed a defenseman added another blue liner and signed a backup goalie. So a lot of movement for the defending Stanley Cup champs. We'll get into all of it in the next 20-30 minutes and uh, also look back at the players that the Penguins are losing and the fav- my, my favorite memories of each player that is departing. So let's get to that first and start with the guy that I think is the most important loss and that's Nick Bonino. Played just two years for the Penguins but both years the Pens won the Stanley Cup. A little bit of an enigma. I've used that term with Phil Kessel the last two years. I think it can apply to Nick Bonino as well because you look at his numbers. Some of them are really great, and in some cases you're like, ah, maybe I would I would uh, prefer the Penguins just keep him even if it costs them a little bit more than market value. Then you look at other things uh, on Nick Bonino's stat line, and you think of a few other uh, things and, and points, um, and and it it really leads to an argument of no, you shouldn't, you absolutely shouldn't overpay for Bonino. And I think that was actually the right choice. And and, uh, I'll explain why here, but nine goals, 29 points in 63 games last season. So he wasn't a great scorer. Uh, Most of those points also came at the end of the season in March when he was between Carl Hagelin and Phil Kessel on the second line. That is when Bonino basically became the X factor for that Stanley Cup run last year in 2016. Uh, Also last season, he posted a career-best 50.4 points. 
face-off win percentage. So above 50%, really the only time in his career he's been above 50%. And that was fantastic for, for the penalty kill, which was elite for the Penguins in 2016 and uh, it, during the playoffs and, and regular seasons. So um, also a great playoffs in 2016. Four goals, 18 points. Two of those goals were game winners. The game winner in overtime, game six against Washington to eliminate the Capitals. Game one against San Jose got the Penguins started in that series against in the Stanley Cup, uh, getting them game one, a very important game, obviously. And and with the Penguins also winning game two, they put a stranglehold on that, on that series right away and were able to beat San Jose in six games. So those were all the positives from, for the most part, I guess, the um, from from Bonino's career, the negative was the, that he didn't score a lot, uh, just nine goals and 29 points. He did much better in the scoring department this past season, 18 goals, 37 points. That, to me, is where he should be most years, you know, knocking down the door on the 20-goal mark, but definitely reaching 15. The nine goals, even in 63 games, was far too little for a third-line center of Nick Bonino's um, skill level. So he bounces back with 18 goals, and that was nice to see during the regular season, but he wasn't as productive in the postseason, and his possession numbers, along with his face-off numbers, were way down. So I, I think looking back at it now, the career best 50.4 uh, faceoff per- win percentage was kind of an aberration. If you look back at the rest of his career, he's been in below 50% all the other years. So I, I think if you want him to continue to be your reliable third line center, number one penalty killing center, maybe he's not as good as he sh- as he showed at-, at those skills back in 2016 because he had a career year in, in those uh, areas. So that to me is maybe the biggest reason why he's probably replaceable for this team. The Penguins are looking for a third line center that doesn't necessarily have to score 20 goals, but a guy that can win some faceoffs, a guy that can kill penalties. And Benino did that very well two years ago, last year, but this past year wasn't as good in those areas. And in the postseason number Numbers also were a little bit down. I I love the guy and I, I admire him for the, the way he blocks shots. He obviously ended his Penguins career blocking a shot, came back despite breaking his leg, finished out game two, tried to practice and play in the Stanley Cup despite the broken leg. You admire that toughness. But is that worth over $4 million a year? No, it's not. And that's the type of money that you pay a top six forward, to be honest. And Bonino is not a top six forward. He's not a second-line center. And that's what Nashville is probably going to be asking him to be. And I think that's asking too much from Nick Bonino. Bonino signing a 16.4 four-year deal of $16.4 million over four years with the Nashville Predators. It hurts a little bit, right, that he's going to Nashville, the team that— Really, the Penguins developed a strong dislike towards, uh, and Penguins fans um, developed a strong dislike towards that team and that fan base during the Stanley Cup, and Bonino very quickly jumps ship and goes to the team that uh, he helps defeat in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, um, again, the intangibles he provides, they're going to be tough to replace for the Penguins, but at that money, I think it was definitely a the, the the right decision for the penguins to let him go trevor daly is the second guy i want to talk about of all the departed players for the penguins this past saturday daly signed a three-year 
$9.534 million deal with the Detroit Red Wings. That comes out to an average annual salary of $3.178 million. I thought that was actually in the Penguins' price range, but to me, the reason why they didn't re-sign Daly, a little bit worried about his injury pass and the amount of games he's logged over the last two years. And you can probably say that about all these guys, uh, Bonino and Chris Kunitz, who we'll talk about in a minute. These guys have played a lot of games over the last two years. And as much as you would want the, want the Penguins to just keep the whole band together and have everybody go for a three-peat, maybe it's not a bad idea to get some fresh legs in there, some guys that haven't played into June each of the last two years. And I think the Penguins are taking advantage of that opportunity, letting Daly and Bonino go. Um, Daly played 56 games in 2016-17, scored five goals, 19 points, a plus seven rating. Not bad numbers, but if you look at his possession numbers, they're not so good this year. Uh, 46.1 Corsi 4 percentage in 2016-17. That came out to also a minus 5.5 Corsi 4 relative percentage. Those numbers were far lower than in 2015-16 when he had a 15.7 Corsi 4 percentage and a minus 1.67 Corsi 4 relative percentage. And if you're not familiar with these types of stats, these numbers tell you how many shots for and shots against that a certain player allows when on the ice. Um, and it's not just shots on goal either. It's shots, shot attempts. So basically it tells you the, the amount of time that the, that the team possesses the puck when this player is on the ice. And daily, when he was on the ice last season, the Penguins controlled the pace of play pretty well. This past year, not so much. As a team overall, the Penguins weren't as good possession-wise in 2016-17 as they were in 2015-16. And you could probably guess that based on the number of shots they gave up in the postseason. They seemed to lose the shot battle absolutely every game. But, uh, Definitely, in Daly's case, he was not as good as possessing the puck, controlling play uh, uh, this year as he was the year before. The other factor with Daly, he turns 34 years old in October, and he signs a three-year deal. So I'm not sure the Penguins really wanted to lock up a guy, even at an affordable price. Did you really want to lock up a defenseman that's going to be 36, almost 37 by the time his contract runs out? Another decision I think that uh, maybe was wise to let Daly go. Um, the number one moment I will remember most of Daly is probably lifting the Stanley Cup, the first guy to lift it after Sidney Crosby in 2016. That's the long-lasting memory I'll have of Daly. If I can think of a play on the ice, I probably would pick his goal that he scored in Game 4 against the Washington Capitals in 2016. Actually, really the whole game for him was was an unforgettable moment. Daly played 28 minutes, more than 28 minutes in that, in that game. And if you remember correctly, Chris Letang was suspended for that game. That was what I thought would be a turning point in the series. The Penguins were up 2-1, to one, but without Letang in Game 4, I thought the Capitals would tie up the series and we'd have a best-of-three scenario. Not so fast, because Daly was outstanding. Scoring a goal, playing 28 minutes, the Penguins escaped that game with a win, and uh, the rest is history. They were able to wrap that up in six games and and uh, win their first of two straight Stanley Cups. And in case I wasn't clear with the uh, Nick Bonino memories that I will have, uh, it's the two goals that I talked about, the one to win Game 6 against Washington and the, the Game 1 against the, the San Jose Sharks. 
But moving on to Ron Hainsey. Didn't play for the Penguins as long as these last two guys did, although I, I guess Daly and Bonino really didn't play that long either. The Daly, a year and a half, Bonino two years. Hainsey, just half a season, less than half a season, a mere few months. But he was traded with the assumption that that's all it would be, that he would be a rental. That's all he was. I don't think anybody's really crying over losing Ron Hainsey. But he did his job, and he should definitely be commended for that. He came in, was, was meant to try and... Uh, make up for the loss of Chris Letang. I know when they traded for him, the Penguins were still hoping Letang would play, uh, but Hainsey never did play with Letang. The first game Letang missed um, at the end of the season was the first game Hainsey played. So they never played with each other, and and Hainsey was, I wouldn't say outstanding, but he was very good, very good. Uh, at the end of the regular season, I would say he was great, and then in the playoffs, he was just good enough for the Penguins to make it through a couple really tough series in the second and third rounds and then to edge Nashville in six games. And the memory I will remember always with Hainsey is that goal he scored in Game 5 against Nashville. Uh, starting the play in his own zone, uh, avoiding a big hit from two different Nashville players, and then starting the play up uh, the 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 ice and then finishing a beautiful pass from I believe it was from Evgeny Malkin it was either Malkin or Kessel one of the two they got the two assists on the play and and Hainsey just gets the tap in goal he looked like Bobby Orr on the play it was it was tremendous I couldn't believe Hainsey was I didn't think he was that athletic to make a type of play like that but it was just tremendous something that I'll remember everything from that game that game was tremendous but uh that that goal was uh icing on the cake from Hainsey uh, I believe it was the sixth goal too of the game so so uh, that is the one memory I will never forget from Ron Hainsey in a Penguins uniform. The last guy, maybe best for last, I think. This guy, it hurts the most that he le- that he's leaving. I think the Penguins are probably best prepared to make up for the loss, th- this loss the most, but it's still the most painful to lose winger Chris Kunitz. He signed a one-year, $2 million deal with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Another team that, yeah, it's not a division rival, but another team that... The Penguins have beaten in the playoffs the last couple years, a team that uh, the fan base kind of learned to dislike during that series. It was a long, hard-fought seven-game series a year ago in the Eastern Conference Final, and uh, Kunitz joins them. Uh, That's that's another tough one to swallow, I would say, but unfortunately for Kunitz, this kind of was expected after the team traded for Ryan Reeves. We talked about this last week. Uh, I think that eliminated a need for a guy like Chris Kunitz. And they didn't want to bring him back and have him uh, block the paths of a couple of the youngsters that could come up the ranks this season, this upcoming season for the Penguins, Daniel Sprong and Zach Austin Reese. Those two players, I believe, will be on the team by the middle of the season. They're, they're hoping that they're going to be next year's Jake Gensel. And if you have so many wingers, a surplus of wingers like they already have, and then you add Kunitz to it, then there's no space for those guys to come up and uh, make an impact. You saw at the trading deadline, the Penguins traded Eric Fair to make space for Jake Gensel. Absolutely the right decision. Kind of the same thing here. They're getting rid of a veteran like Kunitz so that they can ensure that there will be some space for Sprong and Austin Reese for them to come up and play by the middle of the season. Tremendous Penguins career for Kunitz. Eight full seasons with the Penguins in another half year, so nine different seasons he played for the Pens. I think he will go down as one of the greatest 
wingers in franchise history. He's ninth in goals for the Penguins all-time, 169 goals, 388 points. Third all-time in plus-minus at 126, plus-126, behind only Yarmir Yager and Sidney Crosby. I think that was is probably his most amazing statistic. A very good two-way winger is a good way to summar- summarize Kunitz. He's also sixth in in uh, game-winning goals with 28, 10th in total shots on goal, 1,318 in franchise history. And in the playoffs, he finished with 27 goals, 92 points, and 161 playoff games. So many memories, but it's hard to top Game 7, the game-winning goal against the Ottawa Senators in double overtime. It made the back-to-back championship possible with that goal. Uh, The Penguins dominated the overtime session, but they couldn't break through. I felt like at the end of that series, the Penguins really dominated the series, Game 5, 6, and 7. But without that Kunitz goal, they don't advance and have a chance to win back-to-back cups. So that absolutely has to be the maybe the That might be the top goal in franchise history. Uh, That would be a good question for a historian to go back and and pick the best goal or most important goal in franchise history. That has to be right up there with uh, any of the other ones you can think of in franchise history. Overtime, Game 7, Eastern Conference Final, a year that the Penguins end up winning the Stanley Cup. It doesn't get any better than that. And don't forget, Kunis also scored the goal where Crosby picks up his 1,000th career assist happening back on February 16th of this year. There wasn't a more fitting player to get it, really. Uh, Kunitz and Crosby have been together for a long time, great friends, and Crosby assisting that game-winning goal as well in Game 7. So uh, kind of a last hurrah for Kunitz with those two plays here this season. Not a great year for him, only scored nine goals in the regular season, but uh, he will be remembered this year for those two things, and he had so many other previous great years for the Penguins as well. That wraps up kind of our goodbye uh, salute to the four departed free agents for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's sad to see them go, but Pittsburgh is putting themselves in a great position to compete again in 2017-18. When we come back, we'll get into the re-signing of Justin Schultz and the two free agents the Penguins also signed over the weekend. Welcome back to Steel City Hockey, a podcast covering everything Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Just a few more minutes on the show. I, since it's the offseason, I don't want to go on and on about uh, these these deals and, and uh, on the the offseason details. It's, it's the summer. I love talking hockey, but I realize that it's the offseason, so I'm trying to keep our shows short, shorter than they were, especially at the end of uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs. But anyway, a few last details to get to on this episode. And don't forget, next week we will have a much fuller breakdown of free agency, especially in the Metropolitan Division. Hoping to talk a lot of bit about the Capitals, actually. Uh, did I say a lot of bit? <laughs> Quite a bit about the Washington Capitals next week. They're a team that uh, a lot of people have been discussing as of late because of the curious decisions and interesting moves they've been making the last few days and and all of the offseason. But uh, that'll be next week. Let's talk about Justin Schultz here in our final segment to begin. Schultz was reported all weekend that the Penguins were close to extending him a, a contract extension. 
and he signed by the end of the weekend. Three years, $16.5 million deal. He will be paid an average of $5.5 million. I'm happy with this deal. Honestly, I wish the term was a little bit longer. I don't really understand maybe if the Penguins should have tried to make it a four- or five-year deal and have less annual salary. Typically, if you give the players more years, they're willing to give you a little bit less money per year because they're locked up a little bit longer, they're guaranteed a little bit more money, so you can get them for less money per year. And why wouldn't the Penguins want to do that to lock, to open up a little bit more cap space? And I would imagine with Schultz only being 26 years old, you're not afraid of, of giving him a five-year deal because by the time that runs out, he'll only be 31. Uh, with a three-year deal, and he's 26, he's going to be 27 in a few weeks, I believe, then he's going to be 29 going on 30 by the time he needs the next deal. And it's at that point, if he continues to develop, he might want more than $5.5 million per year and more years. So, And that at that point, when he's 29 going on 30, you're a little bit more concerned with giving him a five-, six-year deal. So I, I am surprised that it's almost another bridge deal. You could look at it that way. But also... It gives him some financial security. It gives the Penguins some security that they're going to have Schultz on their blue line for a long time. Uh, if they're able to lock up Brian Dumoulin as well, then their blue line is really in great shape. Um, and I'm, by no means would I say that Schultz isn't worth the $5.5 million per season. It would have been great to get him for a little less, but he is worth that amount of money. 12 goals, 51 points, with a plus 27 rating in 78 games this past season. Add four goals and 13 points in 21 playoff games. He played hurt through the playoffs with a rib injury, a shoulder problem. Did a great job of replacing Latang down the stretch. Most of the season he replaced Latang and uh, was was asked to be that offensive player on the blue line for the Penguins without Latang. Uh, and and he filled in very very nicely. One thing that I wanted to mention that I, I just find incredible about Schultz. In 248 career games with Edmonton, he posted a minus 78 plus minus. In 96 games with the Penguins, a much smaller sample size, but still a significant sample size, more than a season, 96 games, he has a plus 34 rating. At this current pace, he will be back at even for his career by the time he gets to 248 career games with the Penguins. So if he is able to get that high and, and play the same amount of games in Pittsburgh as, as he did in Edmonton, then he has a great shot of being in the plus, in the plus-minus category. Nobody would have thought that as he was pr- approaching minus 80 just a couple years ago in Edmonton. It's amazing this th- that this deal has worked out so well for the Penguins. Remember, he was traded for a third-round draft pick. Third-round draft pick. He was just a flyer, a way to ensure that the Penguins would have some depth on the blue line through 2016. And they sign him to a one-year deal, and he takes advantage of an opportunity Latang being out, and now he is a legitimate top four defender for the Penguins. I am interested to see with this new deal if he plays more minutes, and if that is the case, then will he play with Ian Cole? Cole and Schultz, obviously great chemistry there, but they were basically a bottom pairing uh, this past season in terms of minutes. Will he be able to play top four minutes and will he be able to gel with somebody else other than Cole if Cole isn't the answer to play top four minutes as well I would imagine he isn't because uh 
with everyone healthy, it's Chris Letang, Brian Dumoulin, Justin Schultz, and Olimata, the best four defensemen for the Penguins. No offense to Ian Cole at all. I love Ian Cole, but you love him as your fifth or sixth defenseman, not your top four. Kind of the same with this guy that the Penguins added in free agency on Saturday. Matt Hunwick, 32-year-old veteran defenseman, signs a three-year, $6.75 million deal with the Penguins, averaging $2.5 million per year. Scored a goal, 19 points, and had a plus-8 rating in 72 games this past year for Toronto. Played very well against the Washington Capitals in the first round of the playoffs. Had okay Possession numbers, 49.1, Corsi 4 percentage. Again, if you're unfamiliar with this stat, 50 and above is what you want out of a player. That means more than half of the shot attempts when he's on ice are for your team, as opposed to under 50%, the other team is getting more shot attempts. So there were, the other team, the opposition, was getting more shot attempts with Matt Hunwick on the ice, and he also had a minus 2.1 Corsi 4 relative to the rest of his team last season, but that was much improved over his possession numbers the previous season with Toronto. So, um, and if you look at Daly's possession numbers, which I mentioned in the last segment, Hunwick and Daly are about on the same level. Actually, Hunwick had a little bit better possession numbers. So Hunwick, a little bit cheaper. You're saving a little bit more than half a million dollars signing Hunwick to a three-year deal as opposed to Daly to a three-year deal. Hunwick is a year younger as well, maybe not as injury prone. So, I like this deal as possibly a sixth defenseman for the Penguins, but actually I believe the, the, that Pittsburgh has confidence that Derek Pouliot will actually be that sixth defenseman for the team next year. Jim Rutherford has spoken glowingly about Pouliot, believes that he will make the team this coming fall, and Pouliot will actually be that sixth defenseman probably with Ian Cole on the bottom line, uh, bottom pairing. And, and Hunwick is that guy that goes in along with Chad Ruiel, those are the two insurance guys the Penguins have right now in case uh, Latang or somebody else goes down long-term. And I'm assuming, of course, that Brian Dumoulin will sign long-term. I think he will. Dumoulin, again, if, if you're unfamiliar, is a restrictive free agent. So um, Rutherford was very confident that with the addition of Hunwick um, that uh, the blue line is complete, again, assuming that Dumoulin re-signs. Uh, and you spend a little bit less on the blue line with uh, Hunwick as opposed to Daly. And actually, the, the leftover money that they save from the not signing Daly and going with Hunwick basically goes to signing a backup goalie, and that's Ante Niemi. Signed on Saturday to a one-year $700,000 deal. That's extremely, extremely cheap. Niemi is somewhat of a reclamation project. Did not play very well last year at all. Had an 892 save percentage, 3.3 goals against average with the Dallas Stars. Uh, but he has starter experience. He won a Stanley Cup with the Blackhawks in 2010. He's insurance for you if Matt Murray goes down with another injury like he did three different times in 2016-17. And Niemi is not guaranteed at all to make the team because there is still some chatter that that rookie Tristan Jari could make the team out of camp. If that's the case, Niemi could probably be let go. Um, but if he's on the team, he's very inexpensive. He's got that starter experience. Could be probably still a little bit of a mentor towards Matt Murray if he needs somebody. A guy that the Penguins are confident can play 20 to 30 games if necessary. And give Jari another year to develop in the AHL. Niemi, again, it's key that he's only signed to one year because by next summer, the Penguins 
Bruins are confident that Jari will be the guy to be a backup for Matt Murray. So with all of these deals, the guys leaving and the guys coming in, the Penguins still have $11 million in salary cap space. About half of that is going to go towards the Dumoulin deal I spoke about and Connor Sheary, who's also a restricted free agent. Both are due raises. But even after those deals, the Penguins are still looking at maybe 5 to $6 million in salary cap space. The only other guy I can think of that maybe they will sign is Matt Cullen. If he decides to come back, that would be absolutely fantastic for these Penguins because they're lacking at the center position. So you're looking at, uh, after those three potential deals, definitely the first two deals, between 5 and 6 maybe 4 and $5 million left. And that money, I would bet, will go towards signing not actually not signing, sorry, trading for a third-line center. Even if Matt Cullen comes back, the Penguins need to make a trade to get a center to play on the third line. I'm curious to see who could possibly be included in that trade. It's possible if it's a big blockbuster deal for like a Matt Duchesne or a Jordan Stahl that Ole Mata is included in the deal. Maybe Carl Hagelin. I think Hagelin is a great candidate because you have a lot of wingers and Hagelin actually costs a lot towards the salary cap the next two years, $4 million per year, and he might not even be a top six forward. We talked about it with Bonino. Guys that get paid $4 million or less really should be top six forwards, but uh, that might not be the case for Carl Hagelin. So um, he is he potentially on the block if the Penguins acquire a third-line center in a trade? A lot still to be answered, but I think the Penguins are off to a good start in the first few days of free agency. We will obviously uh, recap anything else that happens with the Penguins next week and get into the rest of the Metropolitan Division. That's all for this episode, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you have a great week. Don't forget to check out the rest of the free agency news on thehockeywriters.com.